Hey, Maggie. Hey, Anna. How's it going? Um, I'm pretty excited about our lineup today. It is pretty exciting. We have like um, a lot of interesting people on our podcast we today. Do. We have Nita Junivonzo, who is directing Three Tall Women coming up at Center Stage. We also have Ken Gilbert. He is directing Lettuce and Lovage coming up at Center Stage. They're doing those two in rep. And then we have our musical guest, the delightful Connor Sherland, who is going to play some live music and talk about his process. I I cannot believe how interesting and dramatic this music really is. It's just really cool. It really, really reminds me of uh, our our delightful producer, David Paris, went to the Decemberists and I was also there. And it kind of reminds me of a Decemberist album mm, in the mm-hmm. way that it really starts and tells a whole story and it's kind of dramatic and kind of piratey. Yeah. So we're starting out with uh, Dog Star and Drama Dogs, though? Drama Dog Star. Coming up They first. have combined to create theater and rep. Yes. And they're doing these two shows. Now, we're going to talk about with them mostly about their process because yeah. they are both, they're each directing yeah. a different show and there's a crossover of artists uh acting artists but yeah. uh let's tell people what the shows are about so that okay. when we talk about the process they they right. can kind of so they're follow. doing a serious play and a comedy right. and both very well-known plays mm-hmm. um the comedy is lettuce and lovage by peter schaffer and it um was nominated for a tony in 1990 for best play uh it's a it's a comedy about this is this is i wish i was the characters in this play. One of them. <laughs> you would is, be great. I would, I would do a film with you in both these roles. Oh, that'd be fun. That would be fun. Uh, it let lettuce Dufay is an expert on Elizabethan cuisine and medieval weaponry. That sounds like like you. goals. That sounds yeah. like you. And and she well, one of them gets a little too into their presentation mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. um, historic house that or sort of mansiony thing right. they're in, and. Um, gets fired by the other one and there's a contest a sort of a contest with higher higher stakes than you would think um, such a thing would occasion so that's a lot of fun lots of laughs and then the serious one three tall women tell tell us about that so three tall women you dear listeners may have heard of because it recently like when the in the last like couple of months one Tony Awards. So it is, you know, currently on the New York stages. It is an important piece of literature. It's by Edward Albee, who's a well-known playwright. And this is three women, as the title suggests. And they're all tall. They're all tall. (laughs) Man, you know, whatever. But uh, it's all, I think that the secret at the end that, you know, maybe we don't want to give away, but I think is important for people to know is it's already said it was literature. So we can spell the beans. Great. So it's all the same woman. And it's three women in their 90s and their 50s and their 20s looking at their life and dissecting what they were, what they will be, what they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that the important thing about these two plays being done in rap is that they really give the Santa Barbara Theater audience a chance to look at some of our fabulous female actors. Mm Mm-hmm. Of every age. Right. So it's not just ingenues. We're looking right. at people at every age and we're celebrating yeah. the female experience right. in every stage. Right. Right. So Those we're going to talk to them about that. And then we will listen to some music from the delightful Connor Sherland. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. 
Hey, Maggie, guess hey, who Emma. we've got now? <gasps> Tell me everything. Well, we have two directors, all the directors from Women, Women Forward here. We have Nita June Devonzo, um, who's going to present Three Tall Women, and Ken Gilbert from Drama Dogs presenting Lettuce and Lovage. And these are being produced in Rep Together, September 7th through 16th in, in at Center Stage. So. I'm very excited. Welcome, guys. Thanks thank for coming. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. So tell me from the beginning, what prompted this collaborative effort and also how did you choose these plays to do together okay it all started with uh celebrating 25 years in santa barbara yes congratulations bonnie and i my wife and i have been co-artistic directors of the theater company for 25 years in santa barbara drama dogs and we are drama dogs and we wanted to do something special in september it's a good month to produce and so that's what we had set we didn't know what we were doing I just knew that it needed to be Bonnie and maybe Meredith McMinn because they mm-hmm. love working together. So that's all we knew. And then Nita decided to cast Bonnie in Three Tall Women. I did. That was last spring. And everything was going fine because they, they would be on stage in July. That would give us enough buffer for Lettuce and Lovage to come into place. And then a little thing called rights came into the picture. Oh, dear. So Three Tall Women, as probably yeah. a lot of people know listening to the podcast, was running on Broadway. Yep. And Successfully. Won, and three won Tony Awards. Won some awards. awards. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of did a little well. People Tony liked it. Tony Award winning. And so I was um, planning on actually putting up Three Tall Women at um, SB cast oh sure yeah mm-hmm. so alternative space look i was really excited about it and then it looked like there was a it was like maybe i was going to be able to get to the rights come mm-hmm. july so had a conversation we had um ken and bonnie over to our house um and you and justin my husband and i justin um founders of dog star theater company and we're talking through this and um ken you brought forward just, i did i said uh, what if what if you just postpone and come in with us with drama drama dogs so drama dog star becomes the feature (laughs) in september that way we share the production costs and we put Mm -hmm. two shows in right both featuring ebonnie lewis which was an interesting opportunity for her as well as us as a theater company to say we have the chops to do this which i love because I mean, I love Bonnie as an actress. I think that she has a lot of range. I especially, there was one particular moment uh, when we did one of those play in a day workshops. uh, When she did, you know, she learned this play in eight hours and she came on and she really embodied the character. And that was one of those moments when I thought, this is a really impressive performer. So I'm so glad that you're getting to feature her in these these two roles. And in many ways, I mean, in celebration of Drama Dogs 25 years, you know, for her. I mean, it's it's um, her on stage in both, but certainly this collaboration has been really incredible. And it's been very different for Bonnie. Yeah. She respects two directors independently. Right. And she and I have a process that we work. However, when we're directed by others, it has to be molded into their style. Yep. So Bonnie is experiencing two styles of direction and production. So not only are the stylistic qualities of the plays, I'll be in... And uh, Schaffer, it's just, it's it's a huge dynamic. Because mm-hmm. there was an interesting, we were just talking about it earlier, that all of us met about what would be the balance to Three Tall Women, because mm-hmm. we had agreed on the collaboration. Lettuce and Lovage came up, and it didn't fall away. 
And, and then I look for parallels. I look for the integration of why would we choose these two plays, realizing that this is called Women Forward, two plays, that two men later in their life, in the 80s, wrote these plays about older women to feature older actors coming forward as women, mm -hmm. and that both of them died in the same year. Mm -hmm. So one American and one English, profoundly popular in their quality of their theater. Right. So that just made sense. Yeah, hmm. yeah. And that was a big piece too for, um, I mean, when we were talking about what do we pair Three Tall Women with, um, for me it was a play I've always wanted to do. I think initially, I bet every, 20-something actress wants to play C, <laughs> the youngest <laughs> character. But um, there's been some recent things in my life that just looking backwards and forwards on time and the decisions I've made and mm. reflecting on um, where I thought I would be. I'm currently 37 years old. Where I thought I would be, quote-unquote, and what sh where I should be at this time in my life versus where I am. And that's really what so much of the play deals about is our choices and our um, you know development of self. But looking at that, this this intense drama, and yeah, what to pair it with, who, who to pair with, and how to um, create something that's in balance. And also, um, and it was great, Ken, because you really brought this women forward piece um, to it. I mean, that was part of my choice in the play was just in this time and the Me Too movement and in just, you know, showcasing women and also showcasing women um, of a certain age. Mm -hmm. And powerful women, women who make choices because of, of that opportunity. Yeah. That they make choices as a human being, yep. not just a woman. Yeah, it, it was an opportunity for, for us to really look at how can we put a drama to a... a comedy and watching the, the the challenge of of my wife going through this experience is really interesting because the disjointed quality of thought and through line in three tall women is completely different than the conversational stories that we go through mm. in uh, lettuce and lovage and it's interesting we, we chose to do a dialect so everybody has been in intense English dialect mm. work mm -hmm. and Meredith McMinn who is playing Lottie in the play Let Us In Love. It. She's she's uh, an incredible dialect coach, and so she's really on the experience of these four people, three women and one man, getting dialect clarified for the purposes of making it really his play. Because mm. we could have done it without, but yeah. it just wouldn't have had the same feeling. It's become very stylized. I had no idea that we would go into mm. a stylistic direction. But As that, is Three Tall Women. Three Tall Women it? has a style, too. Mm -hmm. yeah, what, but what? you guys are very specific with your style. We and, are. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like you had to know that it would go in a stylized direction at some point. I do. I just don't know what it's going to be. Because I'm, I'm a, one of these intuitive empathics who says, okay, oh, that's what you're going to bring in rehearsal? Then let's play with that. Okay. And then having the... So I'm a collaborator, asking the actress to bring something, and then we form it into an agreed way of working the characters. And how how do you think, like, how do you have you seen been able to see each other direct in tandem, or do 
or how are your styles as directors different, or your really process? Because we're sharing the feature actor, oh, okay. mm-hmm. right. that's become mm-hmm. a challenge. Yeah. Fortunately, Nita was able to arrange afternoon rehearsals, and then Bonnie has about an hour break, and then we go into our rehearsals. Yeah. She's eight, eight hours a day. Wow. That's a lot. That's yeah. like full Well, it's time been interesting. That's incredible. Because yeah. yeah. knowing my wife, when we first got together, uh, we were 22. It was at Davis, and, and we, we ta- I talked about the egg beater the egg beater inside of me that needed a way to be expressed. And I had no idea that it would be theater. However, in my first marriage, I had to put it away. It was just not accepted. That was not who I could be. Mm. Until later in the marriage, when the dissolution started to happen, after my son was born, did I start realizing, wait a minute, I have this passion that I can't squelch. It's Mm. just who I am. And I had a woman later tell me, it's your artistic temperament. And I'd never been told that that's why mm. I felt funny in the world. Mm. I have an artistic temperament that looks in the world, into the world as an artist. So when we got together again, in, uh, year, 17 years later, the challenge came, what would we do as a theater company? Because I, I never, I hate auditions. I just hate it. I hate the audition processes, being the producer or even being the actor. And I wanted to create a theater company mm-hmm. that would not have to go through that painful process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in 91, we did a show called Air for One. And then in 93, we came to Santa Barbara with it. We had a producer who hosted our reemergence of that play. And it changed our worlds. Mm-hmm. She and I both became theater artists, and that's what I like to refer myself to is, as a, a theater artist, not an actor or a director or producer, mm-hmm. a theater artist. And Bonnie had always had some sense of regret that she hadn't pursued the profession. Mm, okay. Well, this summer she gets to live it. Holy moly, yeah. isn't that the truth? Yeah, Definitely. seriously. To yeah. be in two features, because usually in rep, you're featured in one and then, then the, uh, the yeah. actor's featured as a secondary or a tertiary character, but... Not this time. Forefront both. And to answer your question a little more specifically, too, Anna, I've been directed by Ken, which, um, you know, it's been really fabulous to, to, to be an actor. And so I know your direction, you know, quite um, intimately. clearly, intimately. Yeah, intimately. And yeah. I think it's been interesting also, um, you know, it's always hard to describe, like, how I feel like, anyways, um, how one directs or what your style is. Um, but in working with Bonnie and little things that she has said to me about what she needs um, mm. or, you know, how how I'm speaking of something, um, I've always felt like I have been a pretty kinesthetic director. Um, but in terms of comparison with you and Bonnie and Bonnie being a mover and a dancer and you being a movement and body worker and Pilates instructor, instructor and Nia instructor, um, you know, my degree of like kinesthetic and movement based acting is much less than yours and so what's been really interesting to me is actually I feel like I've um, my other half of my background is music I grew up playing the violin and singing in a musical theater and um, my ear and how I talk a lot is um, around like rhythm and tempo and I have I I am very aware of voices and vocal quality yeah and um, that's been interesting for me to see kind of layered and working with specifically Bonnie in, in terms of this one, in terms of what she, how she works um, and always wanting to be, you know, sensitive as a director to like, what do you need? How do you need to be instructed what to do? Or, you know, what I'm able seeing. to articulate what she yeah, needs. Yeah. yeah. And, and so she's always said, I mean, she's yeah. been saying to me, wow, Nita, you're so, um, 
audio. Like, you know, you mm. really you really pick up on these sound cues and on the tempo yeah. and on the rhythm of things. And mm-hmm. so um, that's been really fun. To and that's interesting. That. In, yeah. in, our, in our balance, I'm a uh, visual kinesthetic. Bonnie is an auditory kinesthetic. Mm. So that, that's how she can marry with your style mm-hmm. so easily mm-hmm. in, in finding the communication between the two of you. Because yeah. I don't hear things. I spent all day yesterday, Sunday, working on this, the playlist for the, mm. it has to be English, Elizabethan right. kind of music. Right. That's what's requested in the play. And I don't have any of that background. So mm-hmm. I had to listen and listen and listen, and then came up with, with the collaboration of Eric Valinsky, who's a composer and a musician, uh, who's worked with us in the past. He doesn't have the time to give us that, but what he could do is refer. He couldn't oh, compose, right. he couldn't compose, or because we asked him if he would be willing to compose for both the shows and then record it. Wow. But he just didn't have the time. Yeah. So we both made selections of, of recorded music. Oh, I see, that um, that are happening within your shows. Right. right. And like pre-show and, and pre-show. yeah. yeah. And intermission. I have a lot of post-show. waltzes because we're in the three theme. Uh, of so. oh, yeah, <laughs> of course. Very clever. <laughs> we had a lot of stuff just around that. Yeah, well, that was a breakthrough. together. That was a breakthrough for you. I remember you mm-hmm. talking about it through Bonnie that the waltzes had come and it was just... There we are. Yeah. Now we can rest. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, yeah. s- along the lines of directing, we were talking about this idea of women forward, and yet it's two plays that are written by men, but right. it is by men not a million years ago. I mean, I feel like these it's written yeah. by men at a point in which we're, we're pushing towards feminism. That are, and, and male playwrights, that is, that are pretty well known for their for writing female subjectivity. Mm-hmm. Like right, this is right. First. It is female subjectivity, and but they're very good at it. Yeah. But my question is, you are a man directing. I am a man a directing. Ma- you are a man directing. <laughs> I am a, a man ma- directing. Okay. okay, all right. Give me a minute. <laughs> You're a man directing, okay. a male playwright directing women, mm-hmm. and you are a female. How, what is, do you feel, yeah. is there a difference between how you... Hmm, Perceive the material? Perceive the material versus how you perceive the material. Because not only are you different genders, but you're different generations. Yep. Yes, yeah. completely. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. My son's only a year younger than Nita. So that, that puts us into a different kind of context if we go that way, mm-hmm. if we spend time on that. Because I see ourselves as colleagues, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's how I perceive us. Okay. Yeah, the, the issue of a man directing women is that's what I am. Sure. My catchphrase is a man among women. I teach women all day long <laughs> through somatic mm-hmm. education of Pilates and Nia mm. that I don't have a lot of men who come along to my learning unless it's Pilates. Mm-hmm. So to have a sensitivity to women is important to me. I'm, I, I was brought up well by a mother who said you, women are nothing but equal. Nothing but equal. Right. Everything else was just a sidetrack. And so learning how to, to relate and communicate with these two women is is really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very important. Oh, another interesting aspect of our, our collaboration is that we have three of the actors crossing over. Oh, right. Yes. Tell me who is playing who in yeah. which roles. Oh, yeah. So we've got in Three Tall Women, Bonnie, of course, mm-hmm. as A. Um, we've, I've got um, Lynn Craig Robinson playing B. Oh, great. And then I've got Leia Salinas playing... C and Justin Devonzo playing the son. Perfect. The son. And then who is, just Bonnie is crossing over for this one? No. No, no, no. no. You've we got have Bonnie as Lettuce also. and we have Meredith McMinn as Lottie. Right. And then we have Leia. 
Salinas oh, as, that's right, that's right. as Framer. She's the secretary to Lottie. And then we have Justin, thank you. We have Justin as the um, solicitor or the That's the right. I remember lawyer. that he was going to have a role in that yeah. one. Perfect. Yeah. And he's yeah, very fun. funny. Yeah. He is very he, funny. He jumps into character in ways that I just I just want to eat him up. It's one of those things where he starts and I go, okay. And, and then he follows direction in regards to, okay, he's, it's fascinating to work with somebody who, who says something, goes back and rewind, and says it again, back and rewind, says it again. Where are we with this? Because that's the question. Where are we with this? Not line reading, but where are we with this moment? Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's been funny, um, and I'll segue specifically your, to your question too, Maggie. Um, but for certainly, you know, for the last few productions um, that we've done here, if I've directed Justin and the wife directing the husband, and then how he responds to my doing something again and again mm. versus mm. <laughs> and be like, "What? what like, oh, I don't want to." I'm oh. like, "You're doing it." Interesting. Versus <laughs> then coming with Ken, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's try that." Huh. Um, so that's been that's been <laughs> a well, fun dynamic. I know. My well, Bonnie had a little. But we have so much fun. I mean, it's like it's been a great, actually, a really great um, piece, newer piece of our relationship because we met as actors oh, on good. stage. Mm -hmm. But um, what's what I found, um, you know, in terms of a of a woman directing, right? This this um, play written by Edward Albee. One, he actually wrote this in his foreword to the play, but he, so he wrote this play, it's based off of his very, very poor relationship with his stepmother. And um, he s talks about how he he didn't write it in terms of like any like cathartic process for himself. He just wrote it and it kept on kind of writing itself. And he wrote in this foreword afterwards, he was very surprised that people liked her so much. Interesting. Which I thought was really interesting. And yeah. you do. I mean, she is, she is, wow, does she have a lot of facets to I her. I mean, do you think that he had some respect or something for her in there that came out yeah. through That's writing That's what this? I gotta Even though see. he didn't. Right. Even though, and, and you know, who knows, of, of something came out too that was pure of her. And that, that to me touched a bit on, right, okay, you know, it's. Um, we all have our positives and negatives, but it's in the relationship that, you know, yeah. those different things come out that that person's terrible or wonderful or, or sure. what it is not what it is. But it's been really wonderful to work with three women. Mm -hmm. This is the first time in my directing career that I've only worked with women. And um, I was joking the other day just about like... Um, like I'll go back to looking at the foreigner and um, we had two women in that and four men. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's just a different dynamic and there's also men want to get in there and it's like time to work. Let's do it. Versus with women. It's like, how's your, how's your day? What's going on? Okay, mm -hmm. here we are whole kind of holding and shaping and then we get to work. Mm -hmm. But um, that's been, do you think fun. that that is, have you found that to be consistent? Or do you think that was just like the experience of that particular play? Of, in terms of with the foreigner versus the sure. three tall women. Um, you know, I, I feel like that is something as a woman, actually, and I can only speak from my point of view, of course, in my experience. Um, but for me, I have actually felt that as a female director, when there are male actors in the room, I actually need to hold that space for myself more and say, we're doing this now and not get into, hey, how are you? Like, not that I'm cold or anything, but like that I feel like I need to hold this kind of um, 
ah, like stronger focus of this is what we're doing today. This is what's going on. Um, and that with women, it's been a bit easier for me or a bit more, not easier. I would say just more relaxed in a certain way. And I could certainly see that that's my growing edge, you know, that do I need to be that way um, when there's men and women in the room? But I've, I've really noticed that, yeah, as a woman, as a female director. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think that we're always talking about whether in the space of the story, mm-hmm or within the space of the creation of the story, what the place of gender is. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's so fascinating to have these two plays that are very specific in terms of the fact that they're written about women and about women's experiences. And to hear the experience of the directors of different genders dealing with that issue in both spaces in both the spaces of the characters and of the actors and see it would be my hope that we could eventually talk about that with people who participated in his audience and the experience of what they got and what what are the innuendos that are happening that are just dynamic because of who we are now you guys generally do a talk back after Mm. your drama dogs show is that something that you're going to continue with this rep with both shows probably do one feature talk back for each play okay okay yeah, just because it's huge demand on Bonnie. So every time right. she's not on stage moving from one show to another, she needs to rest. And asking her to stay another half an hour, an hour yep. after the Sure, and ask, just, yeah, answer questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which she'd be happy to do. <laughs> of course. It's always been funny because Bonnie says, I hate the talkbacks. And then she's the one that talks a lot. That's always true yeah. with actors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that I've experienced. Anyway. Totally. In my so limited totally. Anna, but first person empirical, you know. Experiments. Oh, I can't possibly talk. But I just need to say this. You know, tw- 25 minutes later. I'm totally. Justin's the same way. He's, oh, I don't want to do this. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's good, though. I love it. I love the idea of the talk back because it does let the actors speak a little bit about their uh-huh. process oh, yeah. and, you know, what's behind it. And I think that sometimes you, you get to hear what's behind it and it creates a whole new world based on the character that makes people want to see the show again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. An appreciation of what they experienced. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, so, that's fun. Yeah. There's Take another little twist that we didn't bring up earlier, and that's when we decided to do the collaboration, it was agreed that, that Nita would play B. And she that's was right. self-direct. Crazy thought. Yeah, what happened? Too much? I would step in as third-party consultant. Uh Not as director, but as consultant. And one day I was out in the office at our house where we were rehearsing in the living room. And I got a little knock on my office door. And Nita says, would you come and direct me and Leah? And I said, well, sure. So I did, and that turned the corner. Mm. It did. Not, and it's almost getting, sounds, it almost sounds like Ken came in, and then I was like, oh, my God, I can't. Not. Um, <laughs> but it was, I realized Ken was seeing all of these movements. I mean, I think it, there was one specific thing that you, you said, oh, my gosh, when you turned your back in that moment, you know, and I wasn't going to see that. And I was f- initially feeling, one, I have to just got an extra. She's very selfish that way. She has I to know. see it all. I do yeah. have to see everything. Um, so I lost a job. You did. Can you imagine, though, if you were directing, co-directing both right now? No. Well, and also, so, and also in my, my um, day job, my work work, I picked up um, another huge piece of work that I was mm. like, I don't know what insanity. What was I smoking? Sure, it, yeah. Um, and had I had... 
two to three hours to, you know, like film the rehearsals, review it, make choices. Great, but I don't. Yeah, that's unrealistic. So, unrealistic. <laughs> yeah, that for Santa Barbara Theater, oh my gosh. in terms of the time that right. you have, the, right? Because you know, everybody has a day job. And really. even when I initially said, "Oh, I'd like to play B," there yeah. was part of me that was, <laughs> I was like, "Wow, you've always really judged people who direct <laughs> themselves in plays, and now you're going to put yourself in one." And I was like, "Yeah, but I want to be in it." <laughs> and then when I took that off my plate, um. Holy moly. That yeah. I remember just feeling so like it was such a huge weight. And I think you know you said that to me too. You were yeah. like, Wow, Nita, you're really feeling <laughs> sprightly today. It's, it's really incredible <laughs> the places where as people we just learn empathy. And, and it always comes from things like that where you're like, Oh man, I just was so judgmental of this and now <laughs> Totally now I recognize now it. I'm like, oh that's actually and I amazing. have some apologies to make. Exactly. <laughs> Everything I've said in my life that I will never do or judge harshly, I always do. Although I haven't now, still haven't been in a play that I've been directing, so maybe I'll still have to do that. Oh, but not okay. this one. Not this one. Not this one. I and have... I was then suppressed oh. by the woman. I, <laughs> I like <away>. that. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a question like why like if you're for the people that are listening what would you tell them is a reason to specifically go to these two shows I will start do you want me to start I will start then I will follow excellent three tall women provides audiences the chance to reflect on their own choices that they have made and choices to be made and invites them to look at actually really a lot of what you just noted, Maggie, of how do we judge our younger self? Mm. How do we judge generations younger than us? How do we judge and critique those older than us? Um, and really seeing it in this full light of one woman's life, A is 92 years old, B is 52 years old, and C is 26 years old. And there's something about that that really called to me and that I'm I'm, um, not just hopeful, but know that audiences will really pick up on and um, get a lot out of. And then the other side of that is just looking at um, tying into our political divide right now and the country's divide of, hey, like how about you spark up a conversation and not just judge from this point in one's life to this point in one's life, but seeing how many things change and turn and fall into place that are unexpected um, in one's life um, and not just create blocks and think, well, I would never do that, or I will never become that, is one of um, the character C's lines. I will not become you, this 26-year-old says about her 52-year-old self and her 92-year-old self. Um, and she does. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Choice, uh, development, um, introspection and reflection on one's life and the people around you is why people should come to Three Tall Women. Okay. No, That's definitely. Fabulous. I mean, I, I think that this is something that, that I've certainly experienced in my life that mm-hmm. I feel like is a, a brilliant universal concept to base a play on, which is the older you get, the more you realize that you are turning into mm-hmm. these things that maybe you didn't want to turn into, you know? I mean, 
everybody at 15 says, I'm not going to be my parents. And also, though, as we get older, that there's some pretty awesome things ahead that we oh, don't realize how definitely. awesome they're going to be until sure. we're older. And younger, you're judgment. like, why are you having a lot of fun doing that? Right. <laughs> sure. There's a lot of judgment <laughs> that happens that, you know, the older you get, the I think hopefully the idea is that you are less judgmental, and yeah. less judgmental, and less judgmental. When I went to my 40th class reunion, it's at Davis, mm-hmm. Davis Senior High School. I uh, was upset at the reunion gathering that we had, and Bonnie said, your friends are just great. And I said, yeah, but they're not friends. They, they were people in my life then, right. but they're not friends. They haven't stayed in relationship with me. Contact maybe, but yeah. not relationship. So the next morning, I was just so upset. I woke up early, and I went to the quad at Davis, and I sat where I would have sat at 17. Hmm. And I had a conversation with the 17-year-old that had no idea that the 50-plus-year-old would be sitting there with him and said, look what you become. It's, it's the play. Mm. It's the play in a way, the three tall women, that the gift of this man at, at now 66, looking back at the 17-year-old, gave him power, whereas the 17-year-old had no idea that that 66-year-old mm-hmm. man would come back and visit him. Hmm. It's a fascinating predicament and also a paradigm of real inter- uh, inter and intra inspection of, of what it is to be a human being. Yep. It changed my whole perception over the reunion issue. Mm. All of a sudden I could lighten up and say, wow, just be here. Mm. Yeah. I'll go next year to my, my 40th and do the same thing, probably, just because it, I can. And I have that intuition to do that. And that's what's interesting about watching the, the process of Three Tall Women it's very fluid and not linear yet it's a linear process yeah as we age so it's 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 interesting it's it's a fascinating predicament yeah and i mean i I think that that's the part of the brilliance of the the playwright is taking this idea that essentially as you said is linear but placing it in a framework that (sighs) that is not that that is shaped yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely it's pretty magical and it could i was thinking about this play and its construct could be perceived as absurd, Mm, but it is not. No. It's creatively naturalistic and realistic. Naturalistic in some moments, realistic in others. Mm -hmm. Well, I think absurdity, I think that someone has to, in the audience, find it absurd. Whereas I think that with the concept that you're presenting with this play, I don't know that anyone in the audience at any age could look at this concept and say, I don't relate to that at all. Yeah. I have no relation to this. This right. is absolutely absurd. <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. And how does Let Us and Lovitch fit in with this? Well, Three Tall Women's the drama. So what can we do that would be a polarized choice? Mm-hmm. And that's to find a comedy mm-hmm. that would allow women to come forward in a way that empowers them without being the, the pratfall character and or the mm. subjectified character uh, to how to play with where are women at this stage in their life? Both Lottie and Lettuce are older. So we're talking about 50s and 60s. They're older, and they're at the end. If they lose the momentum that they've created in their worlds, they have lost everything. Mm. We were in rehearsal on Friday, and I was in tears at a, at a moment where Bonnie and, and Meredith were working the last scene where they come together. These two very conflicted individuals, conflicted in their own life, now come together in a conflict at the beginning of the play and they have to be at each other until they no longer can be. And they resolve this in a unique way. He rewrote Peter 
Schaffer wrote the rewrote the end. It, it used to involve bombs. They were going to bomb all the ugly mm-hmm. buildings of England. He wrote rewrote it <laughs> to the fact that these two women would become tourists, tour guides of the ugliest buildings in oh. London. And that's a twist on the end, mm-hmm. which makes it even lighter and more comic. Yeah. Because yeah. they come together in a way that's just very sweet. <laughs> oh, not a yeah, bit. Definitely. Timing. The difference between terrorism and tourism. You should do like right. an alternate ending <laughs> yeah. evening or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd that be would interesting. Be great. It was so cute. Choose your ending, ending night. Evening. Yeah, choose your ending, and then yeah, there's right, right. bombs that go Terrorists off. Terrorists? You're like, dear Terrorists. So, we need mm-hmm. bombs. Yeah, the terrorist moment still comes <laughs> into the story of history, but no longer at the end. And it was so interesting because all of us were in the, the first read-through, and we're reading along, and all of us expect this to happen, this ending. Yeah. And we get done, and I remember Merith turning to me and said, wow, that's different. Because mm. she's the one that says, let's not bomb, let's be tour guides. <laughs> okay. So they're going, they're going, this is the ugliest building in London I because of this and this and this yeah. and this and this. And watching them come together, Bonnie and Meredith just playing off of each other is an extraordinary experience to watch. They're, they're just funny. very connected yeah, they're both mm-hmm. funny. and they're very funny. different in their backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, Meredith comes with a dialect and tone and voice and, and a very thoughtful perception of character. Bonnie, on the other hand, comes from the other direction where it's, what do I want to explore physically with this, right. this woman? Mm-hmm. So to put the two in conflict to create a comedy is just, that's just mm-hmm. a fun setup. Yeah. So well, it's two women who, who find mm-hmm. a friendship for the rest of their lives, which well, is something that I've never known. I, I think that's a good place to end our convo on, on the highlights of why you would go. Yeah, I think that both are definitely worth seeing. Both are shows that not only feature women, but feature women in strong positions and also really make a point to not exclude women after the age of 30, which is something that I think we run into too much in our culture and it's boring and nobody cares. You know, you're 20 and who cares? Yeah. Like I want to know what's happening with you at 50 because that's when you have lived. So these are the stories that we are looking forward to seeing. And we're so glad that you guys are bringing these two shows to Santa Barbara. It's coming up September seventh yeah, through sixteenth at Center Stage, and we'll have the link on um, our website. Yeah, but we will have all the information. Theater.org. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And men are welcome and celebrated to come as well. <laughs> we won't not stab you if you walk in with a penis. <laughs> oh, because there's, there's not. No, it's no, not that at no, all. we want no men to come. Bad we bad want celebrating. Yeah, human life. No, I think that in terms of trying to bring the genders together, this is a great place to. This is a great place to start. All right. Thank you guys guys so much. Thank you guys so much for coming, and it's great to see you both. Yeah, wonderful to be here. So, Anna, I have a story for you. When I was in college and I was in a sorority, one of the things that would happen was the fraternities would show up every once in a while while we were doing dinner and they would serenade us. Oh, wow. Don't you wish that would happen right now that like... (gasps) Maggie, I have some good news for you. (laughs) (laughs) There's a man with like a guitar and songs that he has written... Okay, maybe not like for us, but in in our general vicinity. But essentially for us. Yes. (laughs) Tonight, special. Uh, And he's going to perform, and it's he's a singer, he's a songwriter, he's a guitarist, and his name is Connor Sherland. I am so excited. Let's listen. Here we go. Went off to college and I met you in a week. 
When I found myself inside your room I know the feeling of a love that's gone away Glad my body found a home away from you I find another and I get inside your bed It's a move by me that's overdone Tell your father we are only friends But the bodies just don't fit quite genuine You let me live Why you on my dreams again? Why you knocking at my door? Thought I felt better, I've been married for a week I'm surprised my mind is thought of you But I guess the married can have their demons too Glad my body found a home away from you You let me live Why you on my dreams again? Why are you knocking at my door? Oh, Emily. Oh, Emily. Oh, Emily. Oh, Emily. I got your letter. The call from a friend He's saying that he's worried too Swore I loved you But I had to get away Glad my body found a home away from you You let me live Why you on my dreams Oh, Emily, why are you on my dreams again? And why are you knocking at my door? Oh, Emily. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We want to introduce you as a singer-songwriter, local singer-songwriter, hey, yeah. to our audiences. Where did you come from? What do you do? Where do you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? You like that? I'm Connor. Uh, Connor Churland, spelled share like the singer, land like the ground. And uh, yeah, I've been living in Santa Barbara now for the last eight years. I originally grew up in Lancaster, California. And then I moved over here for school, uh, enjoyed it so much that I stayed. Mm. And then um, I worked at Appfolio, the tech company, for oh, two course. and a half years, building websites for property managers. And then after that, I started doing music full time. I've been doing that for almost the last two years. 
So this has been my full-time job, and I've been learning the music industry. I had no familiarity with it. I just decided to jump on in, write a whole bunch of songs, see if they liked it, and uh, just run with it and try. Wow. And right now you have a a whole album available. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I have... uh, I have two albums available, a single, uh, and then this new album as well. So there's, uh, um, pretty much my, my whole story looks like Connor wants to write songs when he's a young kid. Connor has no motivation to write songs. (laughs) Um, Connor goes through like a semi hard time in life and decides, you know what? Now's the time. So I decided to write 40 songs in six months and, uh, pick the best six to uh, put down on a record. And I decided if, if I wasn't good in 40 songs, then I just was never going to be good. Uh, but I did, I found six that I really liked and I put them on the album and I had a good time with that and people enjoyed that album. So I did another 40 and wow. picked another six or picked another seven. Wow. And um, people liked that album more and then I did it again. Yeah. And <laughs> here we are at another. another so wait, 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 song. I got to stop you. How long does yeah. it take you to write 40 songs? Because that is an incredible level of I think prolific a year. Or no? Uh, longer. Longer, uh, okay. I mean, that, the, the first 40 was the fastest 40. Right. It, okay. it was like, because when you when you first start, you have literally every, like, you, sure. you haven't written about anything. Right. right. So everything is fair game. So like every member of your family, every uh-huh. relationship between members of your family, right. every circumstance you've ever gone through. Right. And then you realize like, I think I ran out of interesting things in my life. And then you start going into other people's lives and then. Um, then you get in trouble for going into other people's lives. Mm, mm-hmm. and then, we have experience uh, with that. Yes, yeah, we yeah. do. <laughs> um, so then you pull out of that, and you get really vague about it, and that brings us to this album. <laughs> well, my, So let's talk about being vague, because this song particularly, and this is always something I've wanted to ask a musician, yeah. so I'm so happy I get the opportunity. Yeah. You use a, a name. Correct. Now... Do you just invent a name to use? Well, you to- can't, I think you can ask him that. You can't ask him that. Well, but I'm so interested to know because... But now he he can't tell you. Sure. You can invent a name. I mean, uh, answering vaguely is so fun. Um, you totally can invent a name. Um, so the, the Choices of John Still is a concept album around mm-hmm. the choices of this man, John Still. Oh. And so uh, his daughter, uh, Emily, or as she's pet name called, Emmy Lynn. Right. Um she she's one of the characters she has her own song called letters from emily Mm. and this song is called emmy lynn and that is her um sort of ex's response to her letter i see yeah yeah, yeah. i love a good concept album that tells an incredible story yeah we call that program music actually (laughs) that's you that's me. No, I love we it. Yes, Anna calls it program. Yeah. Well, we were talking before we started recording, and I was, you know, you were saying, oh, I'm a professional musician. I think that so many people hear that, and they think they have a thought about that. And what you said that really struck me was being a professional musician means it's a lot of work. Yeah. Right. And yeah. when I hear you say, I create 40 songs and pick the best, best six... I mean, that not only is that a lot of work, but that's incredible editing on your part. Thank you. So tell me about tell me about the work that you put in. Yeah, so I, I'm i a big fan of lots of well-known bands like The Eagles or Journey. or But when you buy those albums, and those are classic seminal albums, um, half of those songs are absolute bangers. And then the other half was because of a record deal. Like they had to fill out a certain sure. number of songs. Fillers. And they feel like fillers, and I tried to remove those 
because mm. I just don't think I think with everyone's attention being grabbed at from everything these days, yeah. I'm like, if I want you to listen to a half hour of music, it better be the thing that I believe in enough to like punch you about. And uh, this album is exactly that. And so tell me the story of this album. What story are you telling? Uh, the story I'm telling is about this guy named John Still. So one day I was sitting in my home and I was um, I was playing around. I, I really am a fan of this band called Coheed and Cambria. Oh, yeah. And what, what they do is they, they make concept albums all the time and they make them really creepy. And there's like a... Um, I was sitting in my room and I was like, what's something creepy? And I was like... And so I just started looping it like crazy. And then um, from there... I, I started thinking about like, all right, well, what is that like? What is that like making my brain? And it was like, uh, I started seeing this like very dusty uh, staircase. And I was like, oh, very cool, very cool. And so I just started to like build up this story and um, just like went for a really long walk during a weekend and started like mapping out like what this character should be about. And um, yeah, he's basically this guy who can see into the future and when he realizes the love of his life is not going to fall in love with him, he creates a potion and then applies it to her. So they uh, fall in love, quote unquote. They uh, get into the marriage. And as the potion wears off, we find him in the first song. Oh. So that's where that's where this starts. And um, yeah, the yeah, you just get to see the repercussions of that and yeah, uh, choices for it and against it. Wow. Yeah. That's an incredible story. Yeah. I mean, that's better than a lot of the theater we get. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I love that. Well, let's hear another one out of this story. Sure. Um, let me go ahead and play exactly that one that I was referring Perfect. to. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Choices of John Still. Great. The title track. Dusty halls of Mrs. Silva, Doctor's wife, in the everlasting tapestry of red rooms, so we could choose this life. With mixtures, he makes his mind too dark a place to live. All alone in his room, he paints the walls with what he wants. What should don't you question my motives Dear love, you more than I can stand There are more to work again Bring me one more for them I know Ooh, I know For a good reason I'll fight the fates and try to win To be free With the echoes Bringing in his mind Was this meant to be Called 
from a point of musical theater I have to say that that's about as powerful a musical way to start a story (laughs) as you can and I'm curious about uh, not only your musical training but where did you learn to tell a story because it sounds like you have you know chapter one chapter two all the way through the end and Mm. you're starting at a very powerful point so you clearly have some training I want to know what your how do you how do you build this world yeah um, I think I have watched Coheed and Cambria do it. Mm. Um, I've watched uh, a Canadian pop singer that I really like, Lights. She mm. recently branched out into this sort of concept album world. Um, I think movies are a good place to start. Like, if you write a song that basically is like showing a movie, like movies mostly start like in media rest. Like, the like mm-hmm. I, I recently just watched rewatched Batman Begins, and I'm like, mm. I forgot this kind of starts in the middle. Right? Like, yeah. It, it yeah. like it starts him off when he's already like a middle aged man about to meet Ra's al Ghul. And then it just flashes back every once in a while to his childhood. And it'll stay in a flashback for like a half hour. But it's like, yeah, it actually starts you like in the middle of the action, which I think is a really good spot because you need to you need to set up the conflict extremely fast. Mm-hmm. Um Lion King has Scar introduced and like complaining about his brother immediately after Circle of Life. Right. Like that is the first scene is his paw slapping down a mouse and then picking it up, complaining mm-hmm. about his brother. And so you're immediately aware of like, okay, this is the conflict. Right. And <laughs> and then it gets resolved. Um 
but that is like it, it gives you the arc at the beginning and i think that's a that's a really important place to start now what did you study when you were in school environmental studies okay so this is not huh. this is something that you have developed on your own not through you know like i don't know I went to grad school. You went to grad school. We were told how to create a story, but I, well, this sounds yeah. like yeah. Well, I didn't. I wasn't a creative writer at any point, but because that's terrifying to me. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Why is that terrifying to you? I don't know. It seems it's just it's a way of of uh, creating that that I'm just not. It 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 would be as hard for me as picking up uh, guitar playing at this point. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, how much of your music would you say, I know you said that the first album, you know, you really explored your own, your own Mm -hmm. relationships. How much of this album would you say is not necessarily about you, but really relates back to emotions that that you yourself have worked through? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all me (laughs) when uh, Mm -hmm. I think the good thing about having this concept album is that it's allowed me to be more vulnerable than I've ever been able to because how so uh, you could ask me a question like who's this about or have you really felt that way and I could be like well the character feels that and right. I can always bring it back to the character right. um, and then at the end of it I can say P.S. all the characters are me right um, which, right it's so liberating to have almost like a you know a, a totally different to leave yourself behind yeah. in a sense and then get to take yourself with you yeah in a a new way and i think that one of the really important things about strong authors is that they can make a compelling villain because they understand villainy in their own hearts so Mm. they're they're that Mm self-aware and i think that it's probably very cathartic it certainly has been cathartic for me but i'm sure it must be cathartic for like jk rowling and for all those other people to like write a very good villain Mm -hmm. who that they can um they can like that is her expression of not only the evil that's in the world, but probably some of the evil that's within her. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, she's able to get it out in this other character and then watch good overcome that evil character. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, um, that's the, I want to say the purpose of art in our lives is to be able to, even with like the most dangerous stuff, to be able to put it out in art and then watch, uh, watch like beauty wash over that a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I, I have a follow-up question for that, too, because um, I think in uh, in drama we say, like, every every hero has his or her own villain that, that kind of mm-hmm. interlocks particularly. So you can't – villains are not interchangeable. You can't take uh, mm-hmm. the Harry Potter villain and put him in – Othello. It just it wouldn't mm-hmm. it wouldn't work. That <laughs> That'd be weird. You're right. It we would should, be we weird, but that. it wouldn't work. No, too, it wouldn't because at all. you know that's not. So there's like a symbiotic relationship. Well, sure, because right. the story of that hero is is vanquishing or coming face to face with that villain, the most important one, the one that yeah. interlocks with them. That's yeah. the story. And and in mm-hmm. a way, that hero like produces the villain, right? Or maybe, but maybe what Connor's saying is it's sort of the other way around. Or in his process, it was kind of like he thought of that in this case, this uh, villainy. And then mm-hmm. ha- um, does that make sense musically as well as narratively? Possibly. I don't really understand music. That's uh-huh. How that's, is that possible? Uh, so these are chords. So like any... <laughs> like. M- the the one thing I can do is play chords pretty well, and I can I can noodle around um, when it comes to individual notes sometimes. But if like most guitar players that you know could very easily play my songs, 
But if we're talking about music as evoking emotion and talking about right. relationships and understanding the human condition, mm-hmm. it sounds like chords or no chords, you know, even if you're playing the fanciest thing on the planet, it sounds like you do understand music. I mean, just uh, listening to those two songs. I, th- yes. I think I understand uh, my feelings pretty well, and mm-hmm. I understand when I'm being honest with myself, and I understand when I'm lying to myself. So when I... When I play a song and I say lyrics and it just all feels kind of blah, I'm aware that that's probably not a good song. It's very rare that I'll like write a song that's blah to me and I'll start playing it to people and they're like, God, that's the most beautiful thing. <laughs> I have like one song like that. and But uh, apart from that one song, it like never happened again. And it's huh. because I, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I have to be able to resonate with the lyrics really well. And so mm-hmm. this... Um, yeah, I, I think I understand what it feels like to say a true thing. Hmm. And because of that, when I say a true thing, people are able to resonate with it. Even when I play live and I have no idea what I'm about to say between songs, I can just open my mouth and start saying things that I like truly believe. Know it like even if I start digging myself in a hole, I know there's a way out because I know that like I'm speaking the the true things. So it's like they're going to start relating to it in the next couple minutes, even if they feel weird right now. So in terms of like the importance of this honesty that you have within yeah. your musical creation for the future, I mean, I'm sure that you would love to, you know, be able to get picked up and do the whole thing. And sure. But I know that a big part of me, you said that you're learning about the musical industry. I've been, I know that a big part of the music industry is the industry part of it. Sure. And I mean, how do you feel about what are your feelings about that? About I don't know the commercialization because that the commercialization of art, uh, well, of art or potentially if somebody says, "Hey, we're going to give you five hundred thousand dollars to do an album, but you do have to have six filler songs." Like, what are your feelings about that part of the industry? So typically, when a when you get a contract and it says we're going to pay you five hundred thousand dollars to create a twelve track album, mm-hmm. what they're saying is we are going to loan you five hundred thousand dollars. And that $500,000 will be paid back by you by selling this album. Right. <clears throat> so that's not money that's yours. That's money that is theirs and theirs to keep. And so when you sign that deal, if you do sign that deal, and I pray to God you don't, it, it means that you are now indebted to a company for $500,000 hmm. and you need to pay that out. And I just met a guy the other week who he says he's been paying this record company for the last 10 years, oh God. $33 wow. a month. Oh God. And which isn't the worst story I've ever heard, but like he's far out of the music industry. I heard another guy who's like, yeah, I had to like, it took me forever to get off the lease of this car that we like bought using the records money and we bought it as a band. So it was a five way deal. And I'm mm. like, I think that people need to like the, the biggest opportunity I think we have as like this new generation of people coming up is we can actually understand business and understand how to sell things yeah. and understand how to market and connect with an audience. And companies want to, like lots of companies want to say like, I'll connect you to people, I'll help you distribute. And they're going to be drastically overpaid for um, something that's not super valuable to you. You'll pay like a couple thousand dollars for like a couple blog posts. I reach out to you guys without paying anybody else. And here I am on a podcast versus if I paid somebody else, that would probably be a couple hundred, maybe a thousand dollars to book you guys, which I can do on my own. Like musicians 
if you're doing music full time, you like have the full time to be your own manager. And I think mm. that that is like regardless. And, and I think that also prepares you really well for if you do fail in the music industry, you now have like really good skills in business and you understand what it takes to make a company run. And then you could run a business after you failed this first one. Um, but I hope to be good enough of a businessman that I can yeah. uh, continue to help this boat stay afloat. Well, where uh-huh. are you playing coming up? Tell us about your upcoming yeah, gig. So the this, yeah, let's float the boat a let's little bit. The boat. Everybody come out and see Connor. Where <laughs> are you playing? The boat. Um, so my album release party is downtown in Santa Barbara at Breakfast Culture Club right. on the 7th of September. And that is the only thing that I'm pushing at the moment. It's going to be a celebration of the album. We're going to have the guys who are um, playing on the album. They're coming up from Pasadena. The girl who sings on the album, she's going to be there too. Um, Drop some names. What are their names? Uh, so the Rare Occasions, that's the indie rock band down in Pasadena. Brian McLaughlin, he's the guy who like helped me record, mix um, the whole album. And then there's a gal who, uh, she just had her first day of preschool because she's a teacher, not a preschool student. Because <laughs> she's four. Because she's four. <laughs> yeah, like, I, really, I really needed a baby and, voice. And Hardest person to work with. Yeah, no, she was she was great. Um, so her name is Tess Seccom Council. Just got married. Congrats. Congrats. Um, yeah, so they're gonna they're gonna all be there, and then a whole bunch of the breakfast crew as well. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank excited. you so much for coming in. It's been such a delight. Well, wait, but wait, what? Where can people get this album? Oh yeah, tell us where you can get the album. How people the can connect with you on social media. Yeah. yeah, everything is on connorcherland.com. C O N N E R share like the singer land like the ground.com um as long as you can find the word shareland uh and type it into google i'm pretty much the only option as a result so uh you'll definitely find me and then uh from there once you're on my website you can just click the little store button perfect uh, and then just start buying things and we We all we all know how to buy things we do don't we and we we will have all those links on our website (laughs) so you can find them through us as well uh september 7th Album release party, yeah. Connor yeah. Sherland. Thank you so much yeah, for being here. That was so incredible. Much. It was beautiful. That was it's my beautiful. pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, Maggie, that was fabulous. That was incredible. I think yeah. we should have a musical guest every time. Every time, definitely. So, what do we have coming up? Well, um, a dollhouse and Julius Caesar. And you're up. going to be spreading your That's wisdom right. on that yeah. center stage on this Saturday this coming Saturday, up. Yeah, about 4.30 at center stage. Um, right. I'll be talking with uh, John Blondell again and Simon Williams about a dollhouse and, and that whole Ibsen project. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Come out. And awesome. then the next weekend we have Drama Dogs right. and Dog Star uh, with Ken Anita, who we just spoke with, doing Lettuce and Lovage and Three Tall Women in Rep. So that'll be happening that weekend and the weekend after right. at Center Stage. And then our delightful new friend Connor Sherland is having his open his um what are you, album release album party release pop- on september 7th so that's coming up as well yeah. and you should definitely make it out for that because he is a charming individual with uh incredible music oh really interesting really interesting and we'll play some of that on okay. our way out yeah all right Let's it's listen. been fun thank you thanks hearts and changing minds and passions risk of sea Oh, I will keep on loving you until our love's like breathing.
solitude and you are one for parties I would gladly toast and dance for you as long as you're beside me if I could drink my weight in rum I would do it in a heartbeat but only if by drinking rum I kept you right beside me Bones and joints now creaking I would listen to 